Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our second episode of Week 95 of the Youth Sport <laughs> Podcast. Nobody's left in the last few minutes. Uh, we're all still here. Wyatt's here. Jared's here. Bart's here. Aiden's here. Um, and we're ready to talk some college football. We spent the first episode this week talking about the NFL, and we're going to jump to some college. Um, and we're going to start with some news we missed. And the biggest news of the week, we've heard this from a lot of places, was at Hard Rock Stadium at the Miami football game, a cat was dangling from the second level, just to set the scene. It then urinated on the fans below, which I believe is proper punishment for paying to attend a Miami football game. Uh, The cat then could no longer hold on to its grip and fell. But fans below, they used an American flag to catch the cat and it was fine it's it's just a true wonderful story and the cat repaid the fans by furiously scratching them and then running off yeah. <laughs> Rough. so a true a true tale for our times um yeah. where where do these cats come from there's like a rumor i guess that cats they put cats in the stadium to catch mice Oh. And sometimes they they show themselves a little bit. I do feel like there are a lot of cat stories in the uh, in sports, which is weird. There's probably a more efficient well. way to do that, yeah. but sure, let's let cats yeah. run around. <laughs> <laughs> They're crafty animals, you know. They yeah. can just sneak right in between people. They are, man. Where's your ticket? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope it was somebody's cat too. Like they were just like watching the Miami game and they're like, is that oh my God. <laughs> fluffy? Like we lost her two weeks ago. And, you know, oh my God. She's there. <laughs> anyway, moving on to Ren Hefley, who we've mentioned in the last two weeks of podcasts. Um, last week he threw 10 touchdowns in a single game. Uh, this week, his college, Presbyterian College, um, played Fort Lauderdale. And according to Jared, I'll let him take take the lead on this one. The address for Fort Lauderdale is a strip mall. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like where they have all the stores next to each other and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. just like it says like Fort Lauderdale. It looks like like a Auto Zone sort of kind of thing. It looks so weird. And that's that's the school. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. Like literally on Google, on Google, when you like looked up the score, it showed Presby College, and then it just had like a blank. It didn't even have a team name. It just and no letter. It just had their score, which I think was zero. I'm not sure if they scored anything. It was funny. How many touchdowns did Red Heffley throw? Uh, who knows, man. Okay. Okay. Wait. So well, this well, is it's basically another Bishop Sycamore. Yeah, but yeah. it's re- it's real though. It actually has a physical address. But it's a strip yeah. ball. So how real is it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. If you look it up on Google, it says opponent TBD. They did score three <laughs> points though. Okay, sixty-eight to three. Ren Heffley had four touchdowns, which is kind of by his standards. And two yeah. interceptions. So Chins. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you do have to wonder um, what they're doing over at Presbyterian. Places where you also have to wonder where they're doing, what they're doing. Texas, Texas, oh. categorically, objectively, not back. <laughs> um, a statement we recycle every year, but in Steve Sarkeesian's second game at the helm, the Longhorns lost to Arkansas, and they lost by 19 points. Arkansas even made an awesome dish track towards Texas, which really just you know adds to everything. It's also bigger than the largest loss they had under their last coach, Tom Herman, when they lost by 17 to TCU back in 2017. 
Yeah. Not good times in Austin. Welcome to the SEC. Things will get easier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but um, I'm here for Arkansas ending like top ten, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but, oh, maybe they they're be actually one? really, really good. Yeah, yeah they'll be number one. <laughs> they're gonna take everybody down. It's wide open. Um <laughs> and our last college football news we missed. USC fired Clay Helton. Uh, there is speculation out there that Urban Meyer will soon develop health issues that will require him to take more time with his family in order to take the job, um, given the Jaguars' week one performance. But it doesn't. things don't seem to be going well in Southern California yeah. uh, as Clay Helton's gone. USC lost to Stanford, which is what prompted the firing. Yeah. So, no, I was going to say it's a good thing that Urban Meyer did go to the NFL because otherwise he would have been, I think he would have yeah. ate that job up. Yeah, sure. I think so as well. But we'll get it started out West, and it seems this past week that the West is best. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte once said, let the Pac-12 sleep, for when she wakes, she will shake the world. And with Oregon beating Ohio State 35-28, to the Pac-12 has woken <laughs> Woken up? Is that your next oh <laughs> uh, The Pac-12 made its biggest statement win, um, probably since Oregon won a college football playoff semifinal game against Florida State in the first year of the playoff back in 2014. So, Jared, your eternal West Coast lover, uh, what does this one mean for the Ducks? And could it potentially prove that the Pac-12 is actually the second or third best conference? What it means for the Ducks is that the Oregon Ducks fans around where I live are going to start coming out of the woodworks and saying, I've always been here and, and everything. But in terms of does it make the Pac-12 a second or third best conference, I, I think no, actually. I think it just means if you put the right coach with good resources in the Pac-12, they'll get it done with Cristobal, I think with Chip Kelly and UCLA as well. But I think the biggest takeaway is it shows that it's possible for a Pac-12 team to physically match up with a perennial playoff contender, which has always been one of the question marks about West Coast football. Anytime you rush for 269 yards, that means you matched up pretty well physically, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like Cristobal's like identity. I think he's honestly like probably a top 10 coach in the game, I would say. Maybe if I looked at who all the coaches again, I would think differently, but he's, he, I think he's one of the best for sure. And they were missing multiple defensive starters. Obviously, uh, Thibodeau, or Th- is it Thibodeau or Thibodeau? I, I don't know how you pronounce it, yeah. was out. I think he said after the game that they're missing like five starters even, something, something like a higher number than I originally thought. So that was interesting. But you can't say, you can't extrapolate too much from this game when you look at what the Pac-12 did for the rest of that weekend. You know, USC gets beat by a bad Stanford team that we just mentioned. Utah loses to BYU. If Colorado pulled off that upset against A&M, then maybe we could talk about some ascending, some the ascendant Pac-12. But then Washington really dropped the ball with a subpar performance against not only Montana but now Michigan. Their offense, especially like which is what the Pac, you know, the West Coast football is supposed to be known for, was so lethargic. And then we'll see how UCLA looks this weekend. They're they're playing a apparently a tough Fresno State team. You know, so hopefully they pass that test. Um, and then, you know, those two, Oregon and UCLA, are going to meet up in the regular season to decide which team's going to represent the conference, essentially, assuming they win out from there. So I don't think you can extrapolate too much from the Pac-12. I think it's a good win for the Oregon program and shows that, like, I think, it, yeah, like I said, it just shows that you can recruit, like, 
a physical team that will match up with some of the the blue bloods in the Pac-12 if you have the right coach there, you know. Um, we'll get to Ohio State later, but uh, I'll just leave it there for now. Yeah, I would go so far as to say this proves absolutely nothing about the Pac-12 beyond the fact that Oregon is one like is a good team in the Pac-12. Like, I think it's no different from like I don't know if Cincinnati goes and beats Notre Dame in a few weeks or like when any sort of like smaller team or something like that happens and saying like the whole conference is good because of that like the AAC is not a great conference because UCF beat Auburn one time like I don't think or- like the Pac-12 is now a great conference um, because Oregon beat Ohio State once Oregon is a very good team and I don't think there's anything to take away from that but I also don't want to extrapolate too far out from them too they jumped up to four in the AP rankings this past week and I think we're, we're a little overconfident on that one I don't know if this is the the Ohio State team we've necessarily seen in years past. I don't know if C.J. Stroud quite has the hang of the college game yet. And I think that while it's obviously an impressive victory, I don't want to you know, call this like Oregon is there. They're going to compete for the playoffs. Because I think this year's Ohio State team is not last year's Ohio State team or the Ohio State team we've seen in the past few years. I mean, as far as competing for the play, oh, no, sorry. For no. I was just gonna say. I mean, I think they're they're on the fast track to make the playoff. Surely, mm-hmm. do you mean do you mean p- competing within it? Because I, I mean, that's a coin flip. But I feel quite confident that they will reach it. Just because I, I mean, their schedule is like, who do you see them losing to at this point? Yeah, that, well, they have UCLA. Guess, that's that's their UCLA is tough. That's like, it though. I don't know. That's it though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, maybe more so competing within the playoffs than in that case. Like, I think that like. Maybe it would have been better, been better to frame it as, like, I don't think they're a real championship contender at this point. Like, I don't think yeah. I would not put any money on them winning a national championship this year. Yeah. But is yeah, I mean, anyone, yeah. I mean, yeah, I just wouldn't say anyone, or at least given what we've seen so far, anyone outside <laughs> yeah. the SEC is a contender. So I think exactly. in the context of, like, the, you know, best conference rankings, um, I don't know where the Pac-12 falls, but I think you could conceivably make a case that they're three um, yeah. And I don't know who two is. I mean, is it the Big Ten? I mean, yes. Because I mean, <laughs> I mean, the Pac, the Pac-12 Wyatt is thirty-four and thirty-two versus the Big Ten over the last decade. So I don't know. That <laughs> definitively proves that they're better. Uh, but no, I, like I, I don't. They just beat the Big Ten's best team. I agree that the Big Ten might be deeper. They definitely have more ranked teams. So I'd probably put the Big Ten as two at the moment. But I wouldn't put the ACC over the Pac-12. I don't think at the moment yeah that's uh, who they're competing with because that's the top heaviest of all or based on what we've seen so far and the big yeah. 12 is still a bit of an unknown especially after seeing texas go down and iowa state go down so badly mm-hmm. like yeah i, I we can yeah, put the pac 12 above the big 12 let's do it I, yeah I, so let's i would it. say three I, I would say that wow. yeah i agree that it's it's a lot to read into um you know just based on their best team but a lot of conferences haven't looked good so yeah <laughs> we got penn state auburn coming up this weekend so yeah, you know if, if the big 10 see. wants to make a statement you know no i mean why i mentioned this last week but i do think like this is a year for like parody that we haven't seen before outside the sec like i think that like i truly like i agree that like i truly don't know who's gonna make the playoff at this point and it's definitely not who I thought would make it at the beginning of the season. Like I think Oregon has a legitimate shot to make it. Iowa, who I've said for <laughs> yeah. weeks is my sleeper team, has a legitimate <laughs> shot to make the playoffs. Like there are some like non-traditional power blue bloods that I think have like a good shot to make it this year, which I think 
is fun yeah. and I enjoy. I mean, is Bama going to win it all and win like 50 to nothing in the championship game? Sure, but until we get to that point, it'll be fun. Yeah. Two of the four college football playoff teams have already lost, and Notre Dame should probably have made it three at this point. Yes. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Definitely a weird season. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wyatt, I'll pass it over to you for the other side of the coin. Can't wait uh, to hear this. <laughs> what went wrong for the Buckeyes this past week? Well, I'll start by saying this, and I think that this is the icing on the cake for what I said last week about the parody, and Lucas, you just mentioned it. I feel like this is exactly what college football is meant to be, where you put two big programs against each other. They have a good game, and obviously one team comes out to be a winner. Rather than just teams going uh, 13-0 the entire season, we have four 13-0 conference uh, winners, and you know those are our playoffs teams. This definitely makes college football a lot more interesting. And it kind of adds another layer of storylines as far as Oregon goes, whether they're good enough, and Ohio State goes, whether they're good enough to go forward. I think that it was just a mix, the perfect mixture of bad defensive calling by Ohio State and good offensive calling by Oregon. Uh, they were saying it over the broadcast the entire time is we just kept giving the same look after the same look after the same look on defense. We weren't moving guys over. We weren't trying to disguise anything. We were showing two high or three high or one high over and over and over again, and we were just as stale as you possibly could be as a secondary. Another thing is I think just C.J. Stroud is probably a year away from being as efficient as Justin Fields or or, uh, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, Lucas, you said that he just may not have gotten the hang of the college game yet, and that's totally okay because he's a young – I think he's a freshman or he's a sophomore. Um, Mm -hmm. It's okay, but – he, 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 there's just a chance that he is a year away from being as efficient as they want to be in that offense, which is a bummer because you guys, we do have a lot of great guys on that team. Like, uh, you know, Alave is a wide receiver and then Garrett Wilson. Um, but like I said, I just think that this was the perfect storm of really good offensive play calling and really bad defensive play calling. Yeah. I mean, they definitely competed with them too, yeah. which is something. Sorry, Bart, I cut you off too. I literally inhaled. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I was, yeah, you didn't actually cut anything off. No, I was okay. just going to say, because it's interesting that you say that they that Stroud wasn't efficient per se, because Ohio State did still put up 600 yards offensively, which is nuts. They out, I mean, they outgained Oregon by 100 yards. I, I think it's, it's more so, to me, it felt like one of those games where like, it was kind of like a coin flip, and Ohio State just didn't like, execute as well. Like, Oregon just avoided mistakes, basically. Right, like Ohio State missed over half of their fourth down conversions. They had a bunch of penalty yards. They lost the turnover battle. Oregon just like executed properly, and that's what allowed them to basically hang in there. I feel like C.J. Stroud could very well end up being a really good quarterback this year. I mean, I know his completion percentage wasn't great, but like, I don't think this is on him so much as on the rest of the, on the defense, really specifically. No, it, it's definitely more on the defense, but my point more or so is that Ohio State has always been this really big play down the field passing offense because they always have burners on the outside as far as wide receivers go. And I just didn't feel like that we executed in that aspect of the game where we were consistently hitting our big plays, as we have done in uh, years past. Well, what do we think then, like, Ohio State's playoff chances look like this year? Slash, 
what do the Big Ten's playoff chances look like as a conference? Do we think we're going to be without a blue collar in the playoff this year? Or uh, do you think that Iowa, Penn State will make a run? Or do you think Ohio State will win out and make the playoff? Jared? No, I think they absolutely could miss the playoffs. If if the pack, if either Oregon or UCLA runs the table, they're going to be in. There's a, I mean, with Georgia beating Clemson, there's there's like a pretty good chance that two SEC teams are making it this year. And then yeah. the the if there's a one loss Big Ten champion, they're going to have to compete with Clemson most likely. Maybe even Oklahoma. Just you know, if Oklahoma goes undefeated, then they'll just make it, right? So you're going to be competing with like a bunch of a one loss SEC team, a one loss Clemson team. And uh, potent, like potentially just undefeated Oklahoma, right? So there's a lot more competition for those spots now. Maybe even Cincinnati too, depending on what they do. You know, like who knows? I'm yeah. I'm a, I'm. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I say, I'm still gonna bank more on the side of parity and give the the fa- or give um, kind of more benefit that to the doubt that higher seeds like let's say Notre Dame just throw them out there will lose at some point during the season Georgia will lose at some point during the season Penn State and that this there's going to be more one loss teams or one or two loss teams this year than they have been in years past and I think that the only the one thing that is helping Ohio State's playoff chances stay alive is the fact that Clemson lost to Georgia in week one right at least we didn't lose to a lower end team we lost to Oregon and it's just going to look depend on whatever loss looks better as the year goes on. I'd bank that Georgia loses. I'm going to bank that uh, Penn State loses at some point. And, you know, I'd, I'm going to bank that UCLA doesn't win out either necessarily. So it, it's just, there's just, uh, it's about parity. And I think that the, it's going to continue. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I mentioned this before, I think Iowa legitimately has a very good shot of going 13 and 0 and making it the playoff as well. They look really, really good so far. They shut down Iowa State, and we don't know how good they are. Um, but Indiana, they demolished. was a very good team last year, and their schedule's pretty favorable as well. October 9th, they play Penn State, which will be a huge game. Iowa's 5 now, Penn State's 10. But other than that, their schedule's kind of weak, and the Big Ten West is always just kind of the weaker half of uh, that conference. They have games against Maryland, Purdue, Northwestern, Minnesota. Like I just think that like if they can play well against Penn State and win that game, they're on a fast track to the playoff as well because they would foreseeably be a thirteen and zero Big Ten champion going in. Um, and I think they're honestly maybe the Big Ten's best shot of a playoff spot this year at this point because I do agree with the point that I think a twelve and one Big Ten champ is going to have a hard time getting in against a Clemson who's a twelve and one. Uh, ACC champ um, and an undefeated Oklahoma. So I think for, at this point for the Big Ten to make the playoff, it needs to have an undefeated team and that's at this point most likely either Penn State or Iowa. And I think Iowa is the better of those two options. Mm. Book They're it good. then. I'll book it, yeah, I'll book it. Do it. Iowa makes the playoff. I've said it since week one that I think Iowa is going to be really good this year and they have proven me right so far. Yeah, yeah. Also, the good thing, uh, why I think why you definitely mentioned this, is that uh, Ohio State lost in like the second week. It's always good to have your big loss early in the season. Yeah, early. Yes. Yeah, if yeah, if it happens in the last week of season, it just like kills your chances, and, unless you're Notre Dame. But um, is it possible two Pac-12 teams make it this year? No. No. What? What? What if? What if? What if? It's UCLA is the Pac. What if? No. What if Oregon no. beats UCLA? They meet again in the championship, then UCLA beats Oregon. 
Then you have an yeah. Oregon team that's only loss is to the Pac-12 champion, and they beat Ohio State. Only one of them will make it. There's mm. absolutely no way. I'm just saying. Wait, right, the scenario for that one to happen would literally be two loss Big Ten champion, two loss ACC champion. <laughs> Oklahoma yeah. have had to lose two games. That like the only way that would happen is I think if there are two SEC teams and two Pac-12 teams, and there's just absolutely <laughs> no way that happens. Yeah. So Pac-12 just doesn't get enough clout. It doesn't. No, we'll yeah. see. It doesn't. Well, speaking of clout, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame. Uh, what happens on Peacock? It hopefully stays on Peacock forever. Um, <laughs> Notre Dame. The Peacock broadcast was predictably a nightmare uh the <laughs> microphones are not working at points it's are you serious game show so do you mean yeah, it? during the pre-game show the microphones are not working oh my god the, the, the yeah. entire platform shut down during the morning yeah we we, lo- we love nbc but you know do we and the biggest travesty of all was the way that notre dame played uh for the second week in a row they struggled to beat a team uh they should have beaten handily they squeaked by toledo 32 to 29 in a game that they should have lost had Toledo just known how to manage clock. Um, on top of that, Notre Dame's week one opponent, Florida State, lost to Jacksonville State. Yeah. <laughs> so they're Goodness. also clearly not a good team. Jacksonville State, not in Florida, I learned recently, too. Um, Wait, it's what? Not in, it's not in Jacksonville, Florida. It is in uh, Jacksonville, Alabama. People forget. Oh, okay. um, so People learn. Yeah. People learn, yeah. And on top of all that, uh, there's maybe now a quarterback controversy for Notre Dame. Uh, freshman Tyler Buckner was electric when he came in, and Jack Cohn was decent, uh, but they shared snaps and both looked good. So, Aiden, we'll start talking about the quarterback situation for Notre Dame. How do you think Brian Kelly should handle the situation? And could this turn into a disaster with the two quarterbacks that Brian Kelly seems to love? I'm honestly fine with it. I mean, I, <laughs> the, I feel like this season might be a disaster, but I'm not sure it's going to be the two QBs that are the, the cause of that. Um, I, I think, like, to to start off, I think it, like, does make ND a bit harder to defend because of how different the QBs are. Um, like, Jack Cohn is a pretty traditional pocket passer. Buckner is, as at least we've seen him so far, is pretty mobile. Um, and they, they brought him in for a lot of, like, kind of rushing focus plays, though. So. Um, he did have some some passes, including that fifty five yarder wheel route to Chris Terry. Um, but he was he was mainly very effective running the ball. So it kind of it forces opponents um, to, to have to plan for both QBs to some extent. Which take that for what it's worth, but it, it could be something. Um, but honestly, I just like this is a scenario where Cohen is a is a one year rental. Um, if he gets shown up by a true freshman who could be our future i'm i'm okay with that <laughs> like that, that's fine by me so if if buckner you know um proves himself and kind of emerges as the you know spark plug to our offense then he'll take the role um and if cohen proves if notre dame ends up you know turning around a bit and is competitive and cohen proves he's more consistent has more experience and sticks as the main QB, I don't see any harm done giving that, yeah, we, we maybe lose a year of Buckner's eligibility if he was going to redshirt. Um, but we can just say that he needs more development and go to him next year. So I'm okay with that. I think that there are bigger problems on the team than uh, the, the QB battle at the moment. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is I, I It feels like a solution in search of a problem. Like, yes, we needed a spark, but saying you want to use two quarterbacks throughout the season is a solution in search of a problem 
when I don't think it's Cone's team and like Cone's not the issue. It's the O line that's kind of our issue right now. We can't get anything going. We can't protect Cone. He's getting strip sacked by defensive linemen from Toledo. Like, you know, that's not what Notre Dame football that's not what Notre Dame offensive lines especially are about, you know. I think in terms of the two quarterback system, like they're kinda in now. <laughs> Chicago Bears used it in their game. The 49ers used it. If it's used sparingly, I think it's fine. You know, if we need to bring Buckner in to keep the defense on their toes. Kind of like how we used him. You know, I think it's fine. But you, I think you also need to keep their Jack Cone, like, in a rhythm. Like, he was great in the first game, you know? Like, so, yeah, like, I pretty much agree with what Aiden's saying. Just wanted to chime in as well that, like, it's not the the two-quarterback solution. I know Brian Kelly is in love with it, but it's it's searching for a problem that is not there right now, I think. I'm going to go out on a limb, take a little bit of a different direction, and I think that they – should just stick with Buckner for the entire Whoa. year. Spicy. I think I think Cohn was impressive in the opener. He let a game-winning drive in this game despite dislocating in his finger. We also struggled in large parts of the game, and yes, it's not all his fault. The offensive line is awful. But his pick six was momentum-changing, and his occasional inefficiencies helped to put Notre Dame in a situation where they almost lost to Toledo, which is not good. And while I think Cohn, if they stuck with him for the rest of the season, maybe changed in and out, uh, with Buckner and special situations would be fine. I think the long-term future of the program is very much with Buckner. Mm-hmm. He added a spark to the offense. He clearly has a great arm and is also a threat on the ground. And while he might be less polished now, I think he has a higher ceiling than Jack Cohn. Um, and I think the team is going to struggle this year probably regardless due to all the reasons that we mentioned before. The defense is bad. The O-line is bad. So why dump a year into a guy who's gonna be, who is just a one-year rental? Um, when you can give an elite prospect time to learn and develop in real time on the field so he's even better once you finish your, the sort of rebuilding process. So I just think if, like, unless Cone is a world beater, which he absolutely does not seem to be, I don't see why you stick with him over Buckner going forward. So here's my question to that. Is is that fair to the other seniors on this team that are, you know, we're still undefeated. Maybe we're not the best team in the country, right? But we're still undefeated and trying to win every game is that fair to say well we're just gonna use this as a development year well i mean i think you don't even have to cast it as a development year per se in that because i don't think the drop off from cone to buckner is that much like i don't think their skills are that much different like, i don't think you lose much going from cone to buckner really? it's just if you have two relatively equal options i think it benefits the team to choose the one that's younger because hmm. I, I don't see them as being that different and like, we haven't seen well, Cone, or uh, we haven't seen Buckner throw enough. Like he was three for three, yeah. I think, in that game. But yeah. we haven't yeah, seen but, him throw enough to know what he's going to look like. A touchdown, <laughs> I, you know. I, I I think just like he adds another dimension to the offense too. So even going like Cone is just a very traditional pocket passer, and Buckner can run. And I think you saw the play calling open up a little bit when they had Buckner on the field because there was like a reasonable threat that he could run, but also that he could pass. And I think that again. That helps the offense, even if he isn't quite as polished as Cone might be. Yeah, I think. Well, I think if if they legitimately think he's the better option, obviously I have no problems with it. But if if the mindset is like let's get him some reps, I don't like that mindset. I I agree with Jared. I don't think we're there yet. I know we've had two bad games, but we haven't had loss, and so until we at least get that one loss, I think we play for like you know with winning as the mindset instead of development and 
if Buckner gives us the better chance to win, if, you know, a game or two from now, I'm definitely not ready to say that yet, but if a game or two from now that's clear, then yeah, that's that seems fine. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure there's enough data yet. Right, and like, and Cone won the job, like Cone won the job, like Buckner had a chance mm-hmm. to, to win the job. Obviously, well, I don't know, actually, because Cone transferred, so I don't I don't know, like, how much time they each had to, to be with the team, but, yeah. you know. I think uh, what you could see is a situation pretty similar to the, to the 2018 season in which, like, they started the year off with Wimbush and it became clear that Brooke, Book just brought more to the team and he eventually slotted in and, like, I don't know. Maybe I don't know I haven't seen enough to say that Buckner is the better quarterback, but I still just think that what you get from him is not that much different in terms of, like, what he overall brings and you get what you get from Cone at this point, so... I don't know. We'll see how it develops and how it goes, but I don't know. They've had success before. They went to the 2012 game playing the two-quarterback system, so even if that's just what they stick with, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Tommy Reese, I guess, is intimately familiar with the, the system, right? To yes, be, uh-huh. yeah. he's one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Ever Golson. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know. Speaking of other issues with this team, what's up with the defense? What can Marcus Freeman do to fix it? Uh, I just want to say that the defense was not as bad as it looked in the second okay. game. That was my takeaway. Say what? I just said okay. <laughs> oh. So the interesting thing is that you take away the pick six, and they look really good. I mean, they didn't allow a touchdown, I think, until there were like 10 minutes left or some eight minutes left, something like that. It was just field goals. I mean, I know that the offense that they were defending was not good, but like – it, without the without the pick six, Notre Dame goes into the fourth quarter. Was it into halftime, uh, allowing single digits? Like I, I I think the big issue is that Marcus Freeman just needs a little more time. He's playing here. He's coaching guys who he didn't recruit, which is like I think the biggest issue. Uh, like if you look at Cincinnati's like jumps from his like second to his third season, it's tremendous. Um, but I think like right now you just give him a few more games and they're going to get heated up. I, I don't think that like the the defense did not look good in the week one. I think they looked better than the box score suggests in this past game. Yeah. I mean, they still give up some some pretty big plays, which is you don't want to see that against Toledo, you know? When, when we're playing Cincinnati, what is that going to look like? When we're playing UNC, what's that going to look like? Um, I guess, like, so what can Marcus Freeman do to fix that is change his philosophy, but we don't want that because that's why we hired him is because he has a different philosophy, right? Well, also because Clark Lee left, but... Uh, still, <laughs> you know, he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach. He just, yeah, he does need time to figure it out, but there still has to be some way to mitigate giving up big plays. Like you don't want to see that against Toledo. I don't want to see that against Purdue this week. You know, one play, one big play. That's it. Yeah. It's, some people are saying maybe he needs to change the base defense, which I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much he's, suited it based on the personnel but uh like i think it's like a four three five right now it doesn't add up to a lot no, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways <laughs> it's <four to> 12. <laughs> um yeah but that's I don't a know great what... defense yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh it seems like he would have known what he was doing when he chose he knew his personnel in the offseason so i'm skeptical of that but mm. yeah it does seem like it's a very boomer bust defense right now and sort of finishing off our discussion of Notre Dame, 
they were twelfth in this week's AP poll, down from number eight. They didn't drop four spots despite winning. Do you think that's too high, too low, just about right? Uh, what do you think expectations are for this point in the season? It's definitely high. I think we're there for the cloud at the moment. <laughs> we've, we've, we have plenty of opportunities to win that respect back. But like based off of based off of the two games you've seen, twelve is too high. Yeah, it's not. It's a borderline top twenty-five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've seen at this point. <laughs> like you said, they should have lost. They should be getting pulled as a one-on-one team. We shouldn't have lost. Yeah, I don't yeah think literally all all that Toledo court, or yeah the quarterback had to do was fall on the ground, yeah. run the clock out, and then kick a field kick goal. a field goal. I know. Mm-hmm. We should have lost that game. I, also, I just looked this up because I was curious, but the, the largest um, drop in the AP poll following a win was Auburn dropping from number 6 to number 18 after winning in overtime over Jacksonville State in 2015. Hey. Uh, so we only dropped four. So let's, you know, <laughs> we had, I feel like we could have fallen further. Yeah, I know, Jacksonville State keeps the... coming up, which I don't know if you guys knew this, but... <laughs> <laughs> is an Alabama. <laughs> Well, it is in Jacksonville, just not, not the one you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to conclude this portion of our episode as well. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And, and then go follow us on social media, particularly Instagram, but also our Twitter and um, Vine. Just kidding. TikTok. At You Thought Sport. Um, yeah, and engage with us there. We're definitely very engaging and, um, yeah, definitely looking forward to the next episode. Hope to see you guys there next week.